This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Hope everybody's staying warm out there. Get the shovels out. Get the snowblowers out if you've got them. It is uh, one of those days here in Minnesota in the winter, right here in the smack dab in January. We are in it. But you are probably inside and you are listening to a podcast, so life couldn't be much better for you right now. Lots to get to today on the show. Going to get to Gophers Ben's basketball team meeting its match. Illinois way too much for them on Tuesday night. Kofi Coburn, a monster in that game against the Gophers. A uh, lopsided win uh, for the Illini from the jump. I'll get to some big personnel moves, too, by the Wild and a Gopher football team landing a big transfer as well. And a MVP voter in the NFL who will not be voting for Aaron Rodgers because he is a quote-unquote jerk. I'll get to that and uh, some reasons maybe why Rodgers shouldn't be the MVP in general. But first, what did I miss Let's go through a little thought exercise. I started this on Twitter on Tuesday, ran a poll um, on Twitter. You know, these are not scientific. This is not the scientific method. This is just Twitter. But, you know, it does give a, a sampling of what fans might be thinking out here in terms of, you know, what, what's what's on their minds? What how, how do they view the Vikings versus, you know, how, how other people might view them? So, so here, here was the poll question. I posed it around 4 p.m. on Tuesday. Still time to vote. Voting doesn't close uh, for until 4 o'clock today. But, you know, as of recording, there's about 1,200 votes, which is a pretty good sample size in this. The question, you're the Wilf family. You are told you have to keep exactly one of these three. Who comes back to the Vikings in 2022? And the choices are... Head coach Mike Zimmer, GM Rick Spielman, and quarterback Kirk Cousins. And I, I was genuinely curious what the split would be here. And, you know, some of the early, very early voting was very even, but a definite pattern emerged that was interesting to me. Here's how the voting breaks down Kirk Cousins gets 59% of the vote as the person that they would want to keep if they could only keep one or had to keep one of those three in 2022. General Manager Rick Spielman gets 27% of the vote. Mike Zimmer, 14% of the vote. And I'm thinking some recency bias probably factors into that with Zimmer in particular. I think people have soured on him lately. I don't think his public perception took uh was given a lot of favors with uh with the post game and the stuff about kellen mond the other day even if it felt like it was more of a more of just a matter of fact to me than anything but you know this makes a certain amount of sense to me in terms of being competitive in 2022 kirk cousins is probably the one who gives you the best chance to win next year bringing a new coach bringing a new gm but you keep a quarterback who has performed generally above average during his tenure with the Vikings you have a chance to win in 2022 but is that the best long-term fit I don't know the question was just who comes back in 2022 so that's fair I don't know if that's the best long-term answer Rick Spielman the general manager he certainly had his share of draft hits Uh, I think we can point to Justin Jefferson we can point to Dalvin Cook we can point to a lot of players he picked in the 2015 draft that yielded Stefan Diggs, Daniil Hunter, 
you know, just a lot of good work in that draft. But 2016 through 2019 and even parts of 2020, those drafts have more or less left the cupboard bare for the Vikings. You know, some hits in there, but a lot of misses, especially on the offensive line, especially, uh, you know, in the secondary. The fact that right now, you know, if you look at their, you know, three first round picks from 2018 to 2020, um, you're talking about Mike Hughes, Garrett Bradbury, and Jeff Gladney. Hughes and, uh, Hughes and, uh, and, and Gladney not on the roster right now. Bradbury, you know, struggling at center, likely to be on his way out at some point here too. Those are three pretty big misses. You hit on, you you find your center. You make a good pick there. You find your center. Your offensive line looks a lot different right now because a good center makes your guards less less of an issue. Uh, you hit on even just one of those two cornerbacks, and your your secondary looks a lot different. So I th- I think Rick Spielman gets a fair share of the blame, and I don't know if keeping him would be a key to turning anything around. And Mike Zimmer, you know, I think you could build a case that he could be the one to stay. You know, based on his record here, certainly, you know, several games above 500, three trips to the playoffs, and, you know, essentially saddled with probably the style of roster he didn't necessarily want when they pivoted in 2018 and spent big on Kirk Cousins. So I think you can build a case for all three. I think more than anything in this thought exercise, I was surprised that it was so lopsided in Cousins' favor because, A, um, you know, I, I didn't know if there was one clear standout, and B, um, I, I didn't think public sentiment towards Cousins was that strong. But we will see what the Will family ultimately does. But interesting to see what you guys are thinking. I guess if I had to make a pick, I probably would pick Cousins, but I certainly would not extend him beyond next season. Let's stick with the NFL just a moment longer here before we get to Chris Hine to talk Timberwolves. Voter in Chicago, NFL MVP voter, Hub Arkish, uh, said, came, talked on the radio recently about how he will not vote for Aaron Rodgers for MVP because basically of, basically finds him to be a jerk uh, because of a lot of what happened before the season, what happened during the season with COVID. Pretty fascinating stuff. Um, he's one of 50 NFL MVP voters this year, and if he's not going to vote for Rodgers, that is interesting to me that, you know, something like that can influence an MVP vote. I don't think it's wrong. I think, I think Rodgers is a jerk. Um, I don't know if that should disqualify him as an MVP because I'm sure there's been a lot of MVPs who were jerks. Probably a more compelling reason not to vote for him is he's probably not been the best quarterback in the league this year. Um, Steve Palazzolo from, uh, from Pro Football Focus put together a pretty compelling reason why Tom Brady should be the MVP and not Aaron Rodgers showing his wins above replacement much higher than Rodgers even Joe Burrow ahead of Rodgers in that uh, in that uh, in that uh, scenario that you know that Brady has meant more to his team that he's thrown such a high volume of passes that Tampa Bay absolutely has needed him more than Green Bay has needed Rodgers an interesting piece on Pro Football Focus so that's a more compelling reason to me to vote for someone other than Rodgers instead of Rodgers being a jerk. But I guess I'm not all bent out of shape about this as some people are. I think it's kind of interesting that that has come into play as a factor in the MVP race. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake where every day is play day. 
As I mentioned before, happy to be joined now by Chris Hine, covers the Timberwolves, of course, for the Star Tribune. Longtime listeners will recognize his voice, I'm sure. He's been on many, many times, first member of the Five Timers Club. Always have to re- mention that. Chris, how you doing? I'm good. That is contractually obligated that I have to be, be introduced as the first Five Timers Club member. It is. You don't just have the jacket. You It also came with a promise. That's right. You know, I should have brought my, you know, L.A. weather out here. Uh, I'm staying in L.A. an extra day here or so. Um, And L.A. weather right now is beautiful. It's sunny. It's like 60 degrees and sunny. It's beautiful. I could use a little light jacket and I forgot to pack the jacket you gave me for being the five timers club member. Would have been perfect for for just a little chill in the air. I could use about Los Angeles right now. I could use about four light jackets. Um, get me through a layer up here. It's going to get cold, snowy, but um, you know that's what we sign up for when we live here. And what you sign up for when you are a Timberwolves fan is kind of, right. you never know what's going to happen. I think we talked sometime in December about the daunting schedule that month, about, you know, we were starting to worry about the COVID variant at that point. And boy, that sure came true. I want weirdly enough, though, I mean, we, we can talk a little bit about what's happened already. But I also, you know, if you're a Wolves fan, if you are the Wolves right now with them sitting at 17 and 20 after beating the Clippers on Monday night, which I felt like was a fairly important win in, in the big picture of things and a, a pretty convincing win at that. I, I feel like you got to kind of feel optimistic, even though this last month hasn't gone well because they kind of weathered a lot of different storms, whether it's the schedule, whether it's, you know, having all of their best players sidelined by COVID you're getting, hopefully getting towns and Russell back here really soon. You've already gotten Anthony Edwards back. You're starting to kind of round back into form and you're still in, in perfectly fine shape in the playoff picture. And you've got a bunch of winnable games coming up. It does. It feels kind of like there's a, an air of optimism for what's, to come even if the last month hasn't been what uh, what anybody wanted i think that's i think that's really fair when you take when you zoom out and take the big picture view look the last week was rough they lost three straight uh you know probably could have won a couple of those games against the knicks and the lakers there um but when you zoom out they're still in ninth place in the western conference kind of in the similar position to where they were when the month started they went five and nine in december um, you know, not great, but again, you didn't really lose too much ground during probably the toughest month of your schedule. And like you said, they dealt with so many absences. Everybody in the starting lineup ended up getting uh, getting COVID at, at one point or another. Now you look at the schedule here coming up, and the next four games they could very easily go four and zero. You have two against Oklahoma City uh, at Houston at New Orleans. Um, so, you know, this is a chance this next week or so here to, to pile up some wins. And, uh, I, I think it's, it's an important stretch from that aspect. Got to get at least, I would say three of the four, if nothing else, um, Towns and Russell trending towards being back tomorrow night. We'll see if they feel good enough to go or, uh, Wednesday night against at home against Oklahoma city. Um, so you know, we'll we'll see what happens there and just how much game shape they will be in. But I think, yeah, like you said, I think overall, I think you have to feel okay about where the Wolves are. I think they've still certainly 
suffered from, you know, lapses. I think they talked about that with the Lakers game where that game was, you know, winnable that they still, you know, with guys out, it was forgivable, but winnable. Um, but I would say that I feel like there is a resilience to this team that maybe recent years we haven't necessarily seen. And it feels like a decent part of that. I mean, it goes, it, it probably, there's a, probably a number of different factors because they can win a few different ways, but guy like Patrick Beverly feels like he's important to that, to, to not staying down too long, to having a certain air of confidence, a, a certain veteran presence and swagger. Um, how do you, how do you measure their resilience and, and be what, what Patrick Beverly has meant to them so far? I think he just, he ups the intensity level. He ups the energy level. Anytime he's on the floor, um, you know, I look at, I look at last night as kind of a, a good example of that. The, the Clippers were kind of making a run late in the fourth quarter. They got it to, or I'm sorry, early in the fourth quarter, they got it to 12. And it was kind of in that position in a game where it's like, are they going to make a run or are the wolves going to punch back and, and really end this game. And Beverly was on the bench and he comes back in and immediately gets a steal that leads to a layup. And before you know what the wolves are back up like 18, 20 points and, and the comeback is over uh, almost immediately after Patrick Beverly re-enters the game. Um, so I think he's just brought that that kind of intensity, that care factor. You know, he cares so much and and is so energetic that it just you can't help but but I think follow that. And, and otherwise, you know, you're kind of letting him down. You're letting the team down if people aren't matching what he's bringing on a nightly basis. So I think that I think that's what he's brought is just from from an energy and attitude standpoint, um, just the the ability to to ramp up the emotion on a nightly basis to try and get some of these wins. I think can't be underestimated. What do we think of? I mean, it, they haven't had everybody available for quite some time now, just whether it's been injury at certain points or obviously lately with COVID and people taking their turn on the COVID list, unfortunately, but if, and when everybody is back and available, does, does the, do you think the rotations look any different now than they did, you know, early in the season when they had more of a full complement? Cause you know, a guy like Jalen Noel seems like he's played his way into some more, minutes not just you know not just when guys are out but when you know when other when other guys are back now but you know i'd be interested to hear what you think about are are is will the playing time be divided any differently as they've gotten an extended look at some of these other players by necessity yeah i I think jalen noel is the one player that that might benefit the most from from this um I, i i really think he's his game has been improved this year um defensively he's i think he's gotten a little bit better he had a rough night in utah where he was fouling a lot which was his biggest problem but i think i think he's doing enough on that end of the floor to to be viable to where he's not too much of a liability that he has to come off the floor i think the starting lineup stays the same as we've discussed before that starting lineup is has one of the best net ratings in the nba when when everybody's healthy so don't anticipate any changes there, but in terms of like who's coming off the bench uh, to be the, the, 
kind of a scorer or handle the ball in that second unit. Uh, I, you know, they, they've tried McLaughlin at times. They've tried Bulmaro. And now I, you know, I really think that, you know, Noel has, has earned those minutes. He can, cause he can score. And I think he's the best kind of reserve scorer that they have in, in, in a lot of ways um, because of his ability to create his own shot. Malik Beasley can, can shoot it, but Jalen Noel can create for himself, I think, better than than anybody else who's kind of fighting for those bench minutes. So if anybody has benefited from this, I think it's him. Nathan Knight has had has had some good run here. I'm not and, and Chris Finch has talked about wanting to get him minutes in the rotation. I'll be interested to see if that happens. I tend to think that he that he might see his minutes go down or go back to a bench role, just just kind of seeing how the numbers play out, especially if, if someone like Torian Prince ends up, uh, you know, playing better on a more consistent basis. And we'll see how the configurations come out. But but Knight didn't get a ton of run last night. Um, and, yeah, I, I think uh, Jalen Noel, if anybody's going to stick in the rotation after this, it would be him. Yeah, it does feel that way. I think you made a good point on Knight. He feels like the kind of guy where they they learn something valuable that he can play as needed. But I think you're right. He probably returns to a little bit more of a uh, of a reserve role. But then you you you, you know that's not to say you know everybody's going to be healthy the rest of the year. It's good to know that kind of what he brings. So there is some silver linings, you know, from a basketball standpoint. Anyway, to finding that out, um, we mentioned. 17 and 20 in the West, a lot of years that wouldn't get you much, but you know, aside from kind of the top heavy part of the conference, it's, it's not a great conference this year. And with the expansion to, you know, the 10 teams, the play in um, it, it almost feels at this point. And, you know, again, Wolves fans have a lot of scars. You be careful when you say certain (laughs) things around them, but it feels like they're going to have, they'd have to work awfully hard not to at least be in the top 10 at this point, um, you know, kind of based on their trajectory, what we've seen so far and what we've seen really from the bottom five teams in this conference. Yeah. And I don't think anything has changed, at least from my point of view, from what I thought early in the season about where this team would end up. This is about where I thought this team would be the nine, 10 slot, because, and I'll make the point again, you look at the bottom of the Western conference and this team is when healthy uh, and even if not completely healthy <laughs> is better than the Oklahoma cities, the Houston's, the new Orleans of the world right there. So you basically are just trying to beat out the Kings um, Portland and San Antonio kind of for these last two spots, I think is what it's going to break down as when all is said and done here. So you have to be better than essentially the Kings and the, two of the three of the Kings, the Spurs, and Portland, who who has really had a, a rough year this year, so, and I think that I think they could do it. I think they, I really do, um, and I, I just think that they've shown enough that they are worthy and and can get a play at least a play in spot, and they should feel really disappointed if the season ends without that. Yeah, and as a reminder too, I think that the play in, of course, is the seven through ten seeds. There's a Big advantage to being seven or eight because then you get two cracks at it if needed because you play the seven and eight play each other, yes, and then the winner is in automatically yes. and the loser plays the winner of the nine ten game. So if you get into the top eight at least, you've got 
you know, two games to get into the playoffs. And that's, I think that's fair. I, I do like the way they've constructed it. If you're going to do it this way, at least give the, uh, you know, get, at least give the seven, eight teams a, a pretty good shot at it. And obviously the higher seeds get the home games in, in all those cases as well. Um, you know, how do you, a couple more points for you before we, before we depart? I mean, it's going to be, I would imagine a little tricky. You don't know what, um, I don't know. You don't know what, Towns and, and Russell are going to be able to do right away here. But the Russell factor has been undeniable all season when he's played. They've generally been, you know, an above 500 team and in some cases, well above, well above 500. Um, what, what part of that do you attribute to statistical outliers, you know, three point shooting um, against the wolves being significantly lower when he's on the court. And what, what, por- what portion of it do you just attribute to D'Angelo Russell is a pretty good basketball player. And maybe he does some things that are underrated and go underappreciated. Yeah. You know, it, it's something that I've, that I've thought a lot about when it comes to just kind of valuing what he brings this year, because and I say that because on the defensive end of the floor, right we've talked about this before too. him, him and his defensive numbers um, are some of the best on the team. Um, some of the best in the and, league. It's weird. It's like defensive <laughs> right, ratings exactly. like off the charts. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, why is that? Yeah. And he's not, he's not guarding. Like he's, he's not the one that's guarding like the other team's best scorers, but it just kind of is how he, finds his niche with the with that starting group and, and even late in games where where he's made a number of, of winning defensive plays late in games late in close games this year I can recall at least two examples uh, Philadelphia and Portland where he came up with big steals that that led to transition buckets or transition points and they got a win um, so I, I think he's just kind of filled a, a complementary role on defense very well uh, offensively, one of the things that uh, I think it was Nas Reed spoke about last uh, after the Lakers loss was that you know they were playing very hurried late in that Lakers game and they were committing a lot of turnovers. They you know they weren't getting necessarily the, the shots that they wanted, and he said that's kind of where they missed Delo in those moments because he brings a level of calm and poise to to the offense in those moments especially if he's able like he has done a lot this year where it's just him nailing a step back jumper in in a you know end of game situation or final five minutes of a game uh so he had kind of just has that effect on the team where he fills he fills a role complimentary on defense uh better than he probably has at any point in his career and late in games, he brings that that level of calm that that is needed for a young team uh, to, to pull out some of these games. So I think you, you've seen where they've missed him in a couple of games. Now, you know, you look at a game like Dallas a few weeks ago, and and that's that's a, the kind of game where his detractors will say, "Hey, this is this is the downside of Velo." That of all the games they played in December, that game at Dallas when Dallas was down uh, a lot of a lot of players like Doncic, Porzingis, Hardaway, and the Wolves still had Russell and Towns, and they still lost that game. That's the that was the most disappointing loss that they had uh, in December, and it was it was because D'Lo didn't play well. When D'Lo plays well, they win. Um, it, it, he seems to be the barometer for this team and, and how well it's going to be going forward. 
Final thing. Um, I haven't thought about Ben Simmons in a long time. Um, and <laughs> part of that is because he's kind of out of sight, out of mind right now. Um, it doesn't feel like that's, doesn't feel like the wolves would be in the, the right mix if, if that happens, but we're kind of trade deadline isn't going to be forever from now. What, what do you think about if, even if we don't have to talk about Ben Simmons specifically, um, you think this team will do anything before the deadline? Have they seen enough deficiencies? Do you feel like they have, do you feel like they like enough of what they have to try to add to that, to, to really make a playoff push? Yeah, you know, we'll see. Uh, we haven't spoken to Sachin Gupta on the record uh, recently or, or really at all throughout the course of the season. Might be due for something like that uh, before the deadline in a month or so um, just to kind of see what they're thinking in terms of where they go. But, you know, listen, they're always going to be active. It's, it's hard to pinpoint just what, what kind of trades they're looking for. Obviously, you know, we all know that they would love to have Ben Simmons and, and but the logistics of making that trade work, as we've, as we've said all along, are going to be very tricky because they would need a third team um, in almost any scenario to get involved with, uh, with that. So it's always a little tricky to pull that off. Um, so we'll see. I, you know, I don't know. I, early in the season, if you had told me, uh, you know, what's the what's the thing that they need, I would have said rebounding. But rebounding thanks to Jared Vanderbilt and I think just an improved effort from their guards, generally speaking, I think the rebounding has gotten better, um, especially on the offensive end of the floor. They're, they're, they're a very good offensive rebounding team uh, and one of the best in the league, actually. Um, when it comes to getting second chance points. So I think that issue has, has gotten better. So it's hard to say what exactly they would want, but you know, you do have a guy, if you're looking at it long-term, you do have a guy like Patrick Beverly, who's on an expiring contract um, and is getting a little up there in age, but who could be potentially be, you know, very attractive, I think to a contending team. Right. So, you know, how do you how do you balance you know maybe the long term of of maybe getting value for a guy like that for for years down the road or keeping him and trying to make a playoff push with him on the roster and getting this franchise back in the playoffs you know i think you know just my gut feeling would be would trend towards the latter on that but but you never know what deal might materialize and um, the deal that you might have to pull the trigger on that would be pretty disappointing if they traded him unless there was some sort of can't refuse offer out there, but it'll, yeah, it'll be an, it'll but, be an interesting. I mean, but I'm just saying if you, if you, if you look at it from afar, you know, yeah. this is the guy who's a, a, a winning veteran on a expiring contract who can, you know, who could, I think really help a, a, a contender that, that like a championship level contender that, 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 that might want him. So yep, that's a good knows, point. You know, it's a good point. It'll be an interesting kind of uh, it'll be interesting to watch the lead up to the deadline. Interesting to see how they do in these next four games, because, you know, for all of the improvements they've made, they have stumbled against some bad teams and complacency does still set in. So I think you're right. Three and one is kind of the minimum expectation for these four games to kind of feel like they have done what they needed to do. Um, Chris Hine, good stuff. I think Kent has the game on Wednesday, Kent Youngblood. So, uh, Chris, enjoy a little bit more sunshine, and we'll catch up with you in a couple weeks. That's right. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it as always. 
As Chris and I mentioned, Wolves um, have an easier stretch of games potentially coming up here starting Wednesday against Oklahoma City. Um, Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell listed as questionable for that game as they uh, continue to come back from COVID protocols. So we'll see if the Wolves are able to kind of put together a string of good performances here. Gophers could use some of the Wolves' size. Wolves don't have it in abundance, but they have more than the Gophers have. The Gophers showed their lack of size and depth, really, in the 76-53 loss to Illinois on Tuesday. I was looking forward to that game, thinking, okay, here's where we're going to get to see a true test of where the Gophers stack up this season after their really strong 10-1 and start, and that was just a bad matchup for them. Kofi Coburn 29 points, 10 rebounds all over them. They had no answer for him. I'll, I think we'll, we'll get a better understanding of where the Gophers are in the pecking order. I don't think anybody had any illusions that this was a Big Ten you know, title contender or anything like that, but I think we'll get a better look at where they might stack up in the league when they play teams a little bit more like them, teams you know, more in that 6-10, to 6-11 range, those teams that kind of filter up, filter down. That will be a better look at who the Gophers are this season, but certainly learn something on Tuesday, which is that a team with size can really dominate the Gophers, and Illinois certainly did that on Tuesday night. Let's finish with the cooler. Some big additions to the Wild and Gophers football team. Quinn Carroll, starting with Gopher football team, offensive lineman transferring in from Notre Dame. Top-ranked recruit from the 2019 Minnesota high school recruiting class. That is a big get for P.J. Fleck as they try to retool that offensive line. The Wild, meanwhile, calling up Matt Boldy and Marco Rossi. Um, let the new era begin. We, I was wondering when we'd see these guys. I was hoping we'd see these guys soon. Thankfully, they are here. Maybe distract a little bit from that five-game losing streak. But more than that, um, you know, hopefully making their debut Thursday against Boston home. More than that, just you know, injecting a little bit more offense and a little bit more skill into a lineup that was humming along pretty good until these last few weeks. So that will be something to watch with the Wild as well and something to talk about more. I believe Sarah McClellan will be on a show later this week, possibly Thursday's show, to talk about you know, the comings and goings of the Wild. Victor Rask put on waivers, some of the other interesting moves with that team and some of their struggles lately. And Marcus Fuller should be on later this week as well to talk more about Gophers basketball. So we will get into more depth in all of those things at a later date. That will do it for me today. I'm Michael Rand. Thanks for joining Daily Delivery. Back at it again on Thursday.